This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business and globalization and the effects these developments have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent decades. Today on the show, we will be talking to Sanchoy Das, Professor of Mechanical and Industrial Engineering at the New Jersey Institute of Technology in the US and author of the book, Fast Fulfillment, The Machine That Changed Retailing. This, I think, is a timely publication given the way so many businesses around the world have embraced online retail to survive and thrive through the period of the COVID pandemic, but in many cases has fueled new thinking and new strategies among retailers regarding the place of online retail in their business models. So welcome, Sanchoy, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Patrick, I'm so excited to be with you on this uh, talk show. It's a really an exciting time. Excellent. So t- tell me, Sanchoy, maybe first to get going about, say, your career to date and your <clears> current <throat> role and work at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. So I'm a professor at the New Jersey Institute of Technology. I've been there you know, for a, a relatively long time. My speciality or expertise, if you will, is in the supply chain area, the logistics areas, the way goods move from across the globe, across within countries, etc. And those are what I have been teaching and researching uh, for several years. Uh, and then a few years ago, I started this particular topic. And now I have been, uh, I wrote the book, I've been teaching it in the class, making presentations. Um, and obviously when the pandemic hit, this thing just uh, took off like a rocket. Yeah. So it's, um, it's really um, a timely piece, as you said. Uh, so you, you're a professor of mechanical and industrial engineering, uh, and yet you're passionate about supply chain. So perhaps on the face of it, they're not two fields of expertise that people would you know, naturally associate with each other. How, as an engineer, did you become interested in the supply chain? And, and what do you see as the link or connection between engineering and supply chain? Ah. I think that's a, it's, it's a very good question because a lot of people don't see that connection. So very frequently, you know, topics like supply chain are taught in a business school. So people who are in a, in a management role, they learn about supply chain. And a very common phrase is supply chain management. But at the end of the day, these products are moving in a sort of mechanical or industrial world. There are warehouses, there are robots, there are trucks involved, uh, boxes are being packaged, boxes are being opened. So without that engineering, you cannot have the supply chain. A lot of the technology, including the IT side, is all connected to the supply chain. So if you went to an Amazon, for example, more than half their supply chain people are actually engineers. They're not just managers. So a lot of them people are in the management field are doing supply chain contracts, they're negotiating price, etc. Uh, but whatever is happening in the background is engineering. So I teach like classes which are called supply chain engineering, measurement handling in warehouses. These are all the bits and pieces which make that supply chain click along. And so the book you've written, Fast Fulfillment, what is the premise of the book? Uh, the title is Fast Fulfillment, The Machine That Changed Retail. And um, What are the key objectives that you wished to achieve by writing it? So uh, uh, 
in the late 1990s, obviously, companies like Amazon are starting to become bigger and bigger. And they are building some kind of supply chain. And supply chains have been there for many years. And since the 1980s, Walmart has been like a supply chain champion. And we are teaching those kinds of supply chains, models, engineering in the classroom. But in around 2013, 14, I started to visit some of these facilities with these online retailers and particularly in Amazon. And I discovered that something new was going on. These things didn't look like the ones I was teaching in the class. I was in a kind of shock. What the heck is going on here? These things like stuff I was teaching in the class, they were doing the opposite kind of things. And that's when I realized that this new supply chain was forming, including the engineering aspects of it. And the most critical part of that was fast. So when you click that submit order button, sitting in your pajamas at home, some magic starts to occur. Some gears are clicking somewhere. So that next afternoon, there's a knock on your door and there is a package. It didn't occur by magic. Something happened. And that what happened is the machine. That's the machine which brings you there. So any retailer which assumes that, hey, we'll put up a website, people will put in orders, and we'll do it, we'll take on Amazon ain't happening. You need that machine. So my goal in writing the book was people will start building their own uh, machines uh, so that they can catch up or keep up with these sort of technological giants which are out there. And who was your principal target audience for the book and how should they use it when they buy it? Okay. So when I started the writing the book, like as a professor, you, you have really two avenues. You can write a textbook so that people are going to use it in the class and there's going to be, it's going to be, you know, taught, or you can write a sort of business book that people can buy and read. And Hey, they get an idea and they go to the office, they go into a project team meeting and they're innovating using some of the things I'm saying. So that's what I chose. I chose that route and it, it makes a big difference because this book is only $25. A textbook is $250. So your audience, just the basics is a completely different audience. So that was my goal to get that message out quickly because you know that a lot of retailers are basically shutting because they can't compete in that online space here. And the, the fulfillment machine that you referred to earlier is almost like a, a system, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a system of um, uh, interconnected parts that make this fulfillment possible. So you've described, uh, Sanchoy, what the fulfillment machine is, but how, perhaps more importantly, how do you build this machine for your own business? Somebody who wants to, a retailer who wants to really get involved in online fulfillment. Okay. Excellent question again, Patrick. See, what happens is uh, the, the fulfilled machine includes both a system which interconnects parts and parts. And in many cases, these parts are not the same as the parts from before. So, for example, if you entered an Amazon fulfillment center warehouse, it doesn't look like any other traditional warehouse. There are no large pallets moving around, etc. They have already opened the pallets. Packages are everywhere and it's highly IT driven. It's very large scale uh, models and information systems are controlling these warehouses. So companies have to start building similar warehouses, either that or they adopt a fulfilled by 
Amazon or some other company kind of model, one which is building that. One of my fears is that a lot of retailers are adopting what I call a store fulfillment strategy. Whereas when they get an order, somebody in the store, instead of in, in, instead of the customer walks around, put some stuff in a box and then they ship it out. That is just not cost effective and neither is it speed effective. So both of those are relatively short-term strategies. So companies uh, in the book, I talk about ideas and techniques that they can go about to build their machines. Uh, now, there is a caution there. Some of the machines which the big guys like the Amazons have built are highly capital intensive, require not only a lot of money, they require also a lot of talent. Okay, so you need both of those. And if you don't have both of those, then you have to find, you know, solutions which are you, you can do within your resources. And I hope in the book, some of the innovation pathways that I propose, they could adopt to build a solution um, for themselves. Yeah, it's interesting. I have uh, uh, clients who are retailers who have been looking to build uh, their own machine. And one of the things that they do is they advertise themselves to other local businesses to be their fulfillment partner. So do, do you see in the future that we may have a number of uh, fulfillment uh, offerings from people who may be retailers themselves, but in effect have transformed almost into logistics service providers or fulfillment partners as a service? Do you see that happening? I see that absolutely happening. And that has to happen because the cost and talent is so high. If we can pull together multiple retailers and run some kind of common collaborative venture, that would work out and they would be able to distribute the costs and sort of get in with each other. Because as I said, these machines, so you cannot just go to any traditional warehouse and make it into a fulfillment center. You have to be reconfigured. So now if I reconfigure, say 100,000 facilities, and like you said, two or three other retailers said, okay, you set it up, we'll come in, we'll pay you some kind of subscription fee and we'll take it. Uh, and to put that in perspective, Right now, I think it is in 2018, more than 50% of the Amazon merchandise which is sold is actually just a service, a subscription service. That these are other companies who are piggybacking on the Amazon machine. And that threshold crossed in 2015, and that is 18. And that is the year that Jeff Bezos in the annual report highlighted that fact. It's interesting um, how people um, don't always realize what kind of a change online fulfillment means for their business operationally. I have been looking at the data for a client of mine who got heavily involved in online retailing during the, the pandemic. It saved them in a, in a way. But the order profile is totally different. So whereby in the past they were picking orders to replenish uh, Main Street shops. The orders were multi-line orders and every line in the order had many items. Whereas now with online retail, every order is one, maybe two lines and every line has only one, maybe two items. So therefore the labor intensity of picking that kind of profile is totally different. Is that what you see as well? Absolutely. And that is what is causing the huge inefficiency in the traditional systems. The traditional systems are designed for bulk. I make a, a move in the warehouse, multiple items are picked up, picked up and I'm aggregating the cost out. 
now somebody orders one tube of toothpaste. And that's a problem. Now, I'm going to spend more money to pick that tube of toothpaste than it costs to deliver that toothpaste. So th that is causing inefficiencies. That's why I keep saying the traditional warehouses, the traditional supply chains, they just can't make it in this new online world. We need new systems. So we're talking about automation. We're talking about automatic storage and retrieval, conveyor systems, pick by light systems, those types of things. Not only those type of systems, a lot of uh, IT technology. I see. So, so when the person is going out to pick, that's where they do. So a lot of people don't know the history of AWS, which is the Amazon Web Services. So this com that division was created to make all those IT models for the fulfillment machine. Machine. They did such a great job that somebody at Amazon said, hey, let's start selling that too. So they started to sell those web services to other companies. But that is what I call the talent pool. You need that sophistication uh, to pull it out. And that's why, I, coming back to what you uh, very correctly said, if we had pools of retailers together, maybe they could be more competitive because they're pooling those sort of intellectual and capital resources. It's interesting. So how has how do you think the experience of the COVID pandemic over the last two years has affected the way businesses think about the online channel? Oh, so it's an excellent question. In the past, people just looked at it as an additional channel, some additional revenue. Now they realize that this is the channel. This is uh, the main one. And if you're not on it, it's just going to be you know, go away. So the, the physical stores are now supporting the online business, whereas in the past, it was the other way uh, around. So without an online plan, it would be very difficult unless you, you, you know, you're some kind of very special store, it's going to, uh, to go out. But even the very special store, the problem is now you're competing with a very special store 600 miles away. Okay, so now uh, the competitive environment is also changed. So you're selling stuff to all kinds of uh, people here. 93.9, Dublin South FM. What's your vision of retail in the future, say in five years or further out? Uh, where will online be? And what will be, say, the role of the high street retail outlet? And do you see things being different in America, where where you are versus Europe, where 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 I am, or perhaps in Asia, will it be different in the different continents? Uh, obviously, there will be differences across the globe, but in general, every retailer pre presumably will be doing close more than 50% of revenue through some online channel. And even where some of the, the, uh, the customer experience is occurring in the store, parts of the customer experience will actually become out of the store. Okay, so for example, if it, let me just take a very simple business of somebody who is selling cakes, you know, it's a bakery. So obviously we go to the bakery to pick up the cake. So the first time I visit the bakery, I pick it up, I, I see their cakes, I taste it, I pick it up. But my sequential transactions will become more and more online. I may go to the store to actually pick up the cake, but I'll just park in front of it. Somebody will come out, put it in the car, and I'm gone. So even though that, that touch experience may remain, the online experience is going to become more and more. I'm going to require speed. I'm going to require fast fulfillment. I ordered the cake at 12 noon. I pull up in the parking lot at 12, 2 o'clock. I want to be out of there in one minute. So that's all going to affect every kind of uh, businesses. 
So you have other vendors like you know Shopify and all. They're actually trying to help in that in in the sort of that part of the experience here. You know the way um, you see the differences between uh, the high street shopping area, say in an American city or a European city or say a city in in India. Um, they're, they're, they are quite different and the intensity and the busyness and the hustle and the bustle is quite, quite different. Do you see Europe and India becoming more like America in the future with, the, with those shopping areas having fewer people and less things going on? Yeah, so I, I like the phrase you use, high street shopping. So high street shopping usually assumes that it is a, an expensive item and it's an item that I have to try on. So you were referring to India, people buy saris. Uh, so presumably I go to the store, they drape the sari on, on the customer, uh, 20 saris, and then they select one and buy. So that touch experience will uh, remain. But the, the sort of the white mode is disappearing. Increasingly, increasingly sort of virtual tools are coming into place that people are able to get that experience even from wherever they are, okay? Plus I'm offering, uh, you don't like it, no worries. Ship it back and I'll send you another one, okay? So if you look at companies like Stitch Fix, etc., which ship packages of apparel to people, so they, they select the, uh, the skirts and the blouses that people will wear. The people select three, four of them. They send the rest back. So you see all of that is occurring. Those are all uh, things that are going to sort of eat out the business of the high street stores. Okay? So at the end, they will remain. But that, that, in, that sort of the online experience is going to expand without a doubt, without doubt. Okay, interesting. So maybe we'll um, change uh, gears a little bit. There's a question I always like to ask my interviewees about globalization. And this um, e-commerce, I think, or this explosion in, in e-commerce, I think is one of the manifestations of, of globalization that we've seen. So we have infinite choice of high quality, affordable products available anywhere, anytime, with the click of a mouse without, without even getting up off the couch. So in, in recent times, over the last five or six years, we've seen for various reasons around the world, a kind of a pushback against um, uh, globalization. We've seen natural disasters, we've seen human disasters like COVID that have challenged globalization and the efficient supply chains that, that it depends on. So, you know, right now, I guess, we're, we're living through a supply chain crisis in many parts of the world, uh, in the US, in the UK, in Europe, and so on. So in globalization in general, where do you think we are with the process of globalization? Is it stalled? Are we going backwards? Or maybe is it just a blip before resumption of business as usual, or a change in form? What's what's your take on it? It's, so I think obviously globalization will uh, be there and how much further it will grow, probably we are reaching at some kind of capacity. So one of the, the, the interesting things about online retail fast fulfillment is uh, globalization made it very difficult for local supply chains actually to, to survive, okay? Because they were competing with uh, you know, mass produced stuff, which there was large economies of scale, products being shipped uh, across uh, the globe now what happens is a small supplier who's maybe based literally 100 miles from where I am is able to quite efficiently market product to me. They're able to ship product to me. And so as a result, they are able to take on the sort of the global 
suppliers. So again, going back to the bakery example, a small baker is now able to compete better with a larger, more established sort of bakery chain because now they're able to market their product, they're able to ship their products within a small uh, sort of a zone more efficiently. And then I guess people are also becoming socially conscious of local supply chains. They want to you know, help out the local economy. They're willing to pay maybe a few percentage points more to, to get that product. So we may see, uh, and actually we are seeing a rebirth uh, sort of in a lot of local supply chains. Maybe again, we'll change change direction again as we come to the end. And maybe just ask you a few questions about about yourself. So, what what kind of things do you like to do in your in your spare time when you're not when you're not working and not writing books about the uh, the fulfillment machine? Ah. Uh, so uh, obviously, I like a lot of stuff. Uh, fine foods and fine uh, wine are sort of my uh, my pet peeves. Uh, two years ago, I took a sabbatical. Uh, I was in the Lombardy region, and I was mm. researching actually artisanal supply chains. Okay, and it's a completely different thing. People who are making cheese and wine. That was the best research project in my life because not only was I enjoying the product, I was understanding uh, what uh, they were doing. And actually, I was trying to tell those people that, you know, there's a small cheese producer who's selling maximum within a 50-mile radius that the internet allows them to take on uh, the barilla makers and the big, you know, pasta makers. So that is what uh, I, I love uh, to do. So those are some of my, my hobbies that I do in the food and wine industry, both the supply chain and the consumption side here. And uh, uh, apart from your your own book, are you reading anything uh, at the moment that is inspiring to you that you would recommend to listeners or any audiobooks or podcasts that you find uh, inspiring at the moment? Yeah, the book that I completed just a few months ago and I liked, Scott Galloway wrote a book called The Four and in which he talks about Amazon, Google, Facebook, uh, et cetera. And he says how these companies are changing uh, the social and economic behavior. And this has become more relevant because you, you know that nowadays people are a little worried that some companies have become way too big and they control yeah. everything uh, in our lives. So he talked both about the social aspects and the technology aspects in that book so this is the four by scott, scott galloway galloway yeah scott galloway thank you very much so how can um uh, listeners find you or contact you or find out more about you and your work and where importantly can they can they purchase your book fast fulfillment and maybe access your blog also Okay, so the book is available in Amazon, obviously. So Fast Fulfillment, if you type it in, it will come up. Uh, to support uh, uh, the book, I created a website. It's called fastfulfill.org. Okay, so that has blogs. It has some articles. Uh, I also create like templates or spreadsheets that people can use to back up their innovation efforts, et cetera. I can download uh, those kinds of things. And they can always send me a, an email at sdas at fastfulfill.org and, and it will reach me. Excellent. And how do you spell fulfill? You know, there are different ways to spell yeah, it. Yeah, excellent. Because whenever I'm, I was writing the book, I used to keep getting different sort of spelling. So <laughs> I, I, I spell it F-U-L-F-I-L-L. -L. Okay, so one L and two L's. 1L and 2L, that's the model. But different dictionaries have it different ways. That's right. I think it's probably different uh, in America as in, uh, as in Europe, as in the UK, maybe. Absolutely, absolutely. 
So uh, thank you, Sancho. It's been an absolute uh, pleasure talking to you today and I wish you uh, every success uh, personally and professionally in the future. And thank you, Patrick, your questions. I loved your questions and it's a great show that you have going. Thank you. Many thanks, Sancho. And thanks to listeners for tuning in. Uh, remember, any comments or questions, just drop me a line on pdaily at albalogistics.com. That's P-D-A-L-Y at albalogistics, A-L-B-A logistics, all one word, dot com. Keep well and stay safe until next time. <laughs>